This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns Gordon. Now this time we've just released our biggest ever athletic clothing range. And this range is my favourite we've ever done. We've put so much time and effort into this to making sure it's just spot on. So we've gone for a nice clean golden black look across the whole range. We've got some specialist compression wear. So we've got compression rash guard, compression leggings, compression shorts. We've got a nice compression leggings and sports bra set for the women. And then we've also got some nice t-shirts that you can wear in and out of the gym. So we've got our bind room tee and a nice distressed look. We've got horns loading t-shirt. We've got oversized bind room t-shirt, which is probably my favorite item out of the whole range. See if you just go and check that out. It's really, really nice. And uh, we've got some women's only t-shirts. We've got some athletic shorts. We've got jogging pants. Honestly, we have hit everything with this range and we've put it all out there. So go over to the website, hornsvoting.com. Use the code HORNS10 to listen to the podcast, get a discount 10% of anything off the website. So that's not just the athletic wear. You get anything off of the horns, the mead, any other clothing, the jewelry, you name it. You're going to get 10% off. So just use the code HORNS10. Listen to the podcast, get that. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, coming with the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. This time we're joined by, um, well, first of all, uh, Rune Janu Rasmussen, whom we know already from several episodes. Uh, he's been a guest, uh, the guy behind the platform Nordic Animism on YouTube and elsewhere in the uh, social media sphere. And we're also joined by Sami Noide, um, Kyra Frank, um, uh, who is, uh, has joined us to talk about um, subjects relating to cultural appropriation. So um, welcome to the uh, podcast, both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Hi, people. Yeah, thank you very much. This is this is going to be a fun one, but equally terrifying, I think, for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it will be good fun. Um, no, but before we get started, I do want to give a, a quick shout out to to Ed Ed Games to show that he put on the other day. I, I went to watch it, and it was it was fantastic. It was one of the the best things I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and I know he worked really, really hard on it. And also, there was a few people that went specifically because they heard Ed on the show, liked Ed, wanted to see his show. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to those people as well. You know, it's really, it's quite cool to know that people found something like that because me and you talk about random stuff sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I think it's really awesome that uh, we we are finally becoming a platform that can advertise for, for cool things um, and actually make people go to them. <laughs> yeah. So this this is, I, I've seen, um, obviously I couldn't be there myself because it's all the way over in England, but um, <laughs> uh, I've seen um, uh, cool videos of it and uh, it looks like it was a really awesome show. Yeah, so. I think he's wanting to hopefully take it to some festivals. So that would be, would be really cool. Um, I mean, I've never seen professional wrestling in person before. And I guess maybe when I was younger, I was one of those people who was like, oh, wrestling's fake. And then when I, I saw it, I was like, you know what? It, it, may, it doesn't have to make a bang. And they, you know, they are athletes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's still fun, even though it's fake. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was, uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun. He did really, really well with it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, let's let's jump into to the episode. Let's because I feel like we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so let's not have any fluffing at the start of the episode like we may do normally, because uh, I imagine we're going to run out of time regardless. Um, so I think the best place to start is probably the reason why the episode got put together. And I guess that was, was your post, Rune, that I, I, that I kind of saw, which was you were at the museum and there were a bunch of different things that the Sami drums was one. And you made a post about how this was cultural appropriation and how they should be given back. And for me, I, I guess I never thought of the things in museums in that kind of way. And that's probably very naive of me, but I, I imagine there's a lot of people that also are in that position. Um, and when you, when I read it in your post, it made me then question myself on what I, what I thought of things. Because on one hand, I was very much of the thought that I don't want these things to disappear from museums where I can go and see them. And I guess they're accessible and people can learn from them. But on the other hand, I could fully understand why some of these items should be given back to, to the cultures that created them and would enjoy them and also would be able to display them. So I, I felt very torn and I ended up messaging Matthias asking his opinion on it. Um, and he, his answer was, well, let's just put together an episode and find out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean this actually started, I, I brought my kids to the National Museum and this was about the time when there had been a st story circulating that um, uh, Sami people from, I don't remember what part of Sápmi was contacting the Danish crown actually in order to get, have returned one specific drum, which I think was lent to them. Kautokeina was the place. Was it Kautokeina? Okay, yeah. yeah. And um, and I, I remember sort of uh, during my education, I was good friends with the PhD student who was actually studying some stuff about the Sami drama and its contemporary meaning. And, and I, I remember seeing these debates and knowing that there's only like a, a very set amount of them left. Somebody wrote somewhere. I don't think it was you, Kid. Uh, no. It was somebody else who wrote that there was only like two of them actually at displayed at museums in Norway. So when I'm passing by the National Museum, there are four of them hanging in kind of a corner in a mantra. And 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 they're like in this room together with a lot of Siberian uh shamanic uh um, paraphernalia. And uh the room is just covered with shamanic belts with with like uh, amulets hanging off them and and like covered and i was just thinking I, I, it really struck me i think perhaps the term cultural appropriation i didn't use it quite correctly there but it's certainly a very it's certainly very abusive to cultural ownership these objects are incredibly important and the processes through which they were taken were violent extremely oppressive as i if if I know the story of the history correctly, so so this was this this was one side of it. Um, but I want to mention the other side, which was the, a post that I made yesterday, and actually I only uh, posthumously re realized that it actually speaks a little bit into the same. So I made a Hanukkah greeting, where the Jewish lighting of candles in order to overcome the rupture in the Jewish connection between the Jews and their God. Uh, that is what it means. And they do this around this time of year. They have a lunisolar calendar like a uh, traditional Nordic calendar. And at this time of year, they light candles uh, in order to overcome 
like show kind of show their cultural resilience they overcame the rupture in their tradition so i kind of said okay let us think like the jews that we are overcoming ruptured tradition when we are lighting the candles for christmas which is also a very normal nordic thing to do so and that particular post it got really positive feedback on it well also there were people who were like ah jews are bad and stuff like that and have a problem with cultural mixing of course that then means that you can run block band delete on some people that's a nice little thing i always feel this little limps of joy when i hear the silent scream of another fascist returning in to the great dim silence of the ginunga gab of the internet uh, but the, the thing was then that 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 uh, the positive reactions that i got where i used a piece of jewish culture to understand or to kind of inform a piece of nordic culture and people were like thank you so much for this this made me whole that particular formulation it's really stuck with me broke my heart a little bit like that there's a woman walking around feeling that she's not whole because she has part nordic part jewish heritage and that feels ruptured inside her so what i was basically thinking is that we need to be able to radically insist on giving the sami back the drums and we need to also radically in insist on that woman over there not feeling uh not feeling unwhole because she has uh two different uh backgrounds and those those two things when when i see these debates i see, i don't see a lot of people who are able to sort of kind of hold in their mind that the 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 tension or the possible contradiction between cultural exchange as a fundamental condition of being human and cultural ownership as something that we have to respect and insist on i think i i, I think that uh, cultural exchange has existed since the dawn of time uh, we know that the people travel a lot more now than we thought they did for a long time uh, and um especially here in norway you can see when we come when we start talking about animism and shamanism um, you, you see that um, cultural exchange from the sami to the norse population and vice versa so i think cultural exchange and, and especially when when talking about animism and because at least in in norway or denmark and sweden they, they lost so much from but for instance, the Sami people still have well, we've lost a lot of things too. But but we still have we we have <laughs> four hundred years of of knowledge that you didn't get to have. So I think I think there's there's a lot of important points to consider here. Um, if I remember that original post you made uh, correctly, you had three three items you were talking about. Um, there were the Sami drums. And there was a thing I can't remember. And then there was the Norwegian royal horn. Um, what was the third thing again? Um, it was a it was a mask. It was an Inuit mask. Oh yeah, an Inuit ma mask. Yeah, yeah. So so what I, I strongly agree with you that um, that uh, uh, the presence of the Inuit mask and and the Sami drums in the Danish uh, museum uh, is incredibly problematic. 
but uh, I don't have the same opinion about the Norwegian royal horn. And that has everything to do with the processes that have brought it to, uh, to this location, right? And um, sure, I'm going to piss off a bunch of Norwegians now, but um, I'm okay with that uh, because <laughs> the, situ the situation is very different, right? We have what it comes to, um, uh, in terms of Danish relations to Sami, right? Um, back when uh, Denmark and Norway were uh, still locked in, a, in, a, in an imperial structure, right? Uh, that's a situation where we have a, a fundamental power imbalance between uh, the Danish population and the, the Sami populations in, in, in northern Scandinavia, right? And they are being um, forcefully Christianized and also in, in in so many ways oppressed right so that's a that's a very very specific um problematic power situation and that hasn't been addressed historically the, the danish empire has as far as i know not really addressed um our responsibility in that context um and uh, now we have a situation where we have artifacts in denmark uh, from those populations that uh, we have been part of oppressing, right? That's very important to 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 keep in mind. I wouldn't say that that is necessarily the same situation when it comes to the uh, the Norwegian population in Norway, um, in the same way at least, um, and certainly not when it comes to uh, uh, the the situation under which a royal horn like that finds his way to, to Copenhagen in 1720 through Iceland. Um, like it's, it's actually a curious journey that that horn has taken. So, so there's, there's some, something very important in terms of like understanding the material history and the process um, when, when, it, when it comes to these matters. And that is very difficult for a lot of people to also understand because a lot of people don't have all those facts available to them, right? That that's something that historians have, or people who uh, who carry um, uh, the knowledge and history um, in, in, with them uh, for different reasons, right? And remember why something has happened, right? I mean, we all have historical knowledge, um, and some people um, are sometimes charged with having more of it than others, without necessarily being professional historians too. So that's something I think we should take into consideration when we're talking about cultural appropriation and what that really means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should maybe start off by trying to, I guess, put in a brief understanding to what culture is. Because I think that maybe a lot of people might be confused or not sure like what we would class as maybe a culture and then what appropriation of that culture may look like or class as um just try and get some maybe ground ideas in there that we can work around so we have a little bit of structure rather than kind of jumping all over here there and everywhere um who wants to try and take that one because i know it's not me <laughs> it's uh, it's a kind of a um, long <laughs> story or it's hard, it's hard to get in in just a few minutes but uh I would say that a culture is um, is a lot of things. It's an identity marker. Uh, like I'm, I'm wearing traditional clothes. Um, you are the fanciest, fanciest dressed guest we've had on. It's it's called a gakte. It's the traditional Sami clothes. And by 
if another Sami saw me in this, he knew which area my family is from. And if they're really into it, they will, can actually see who made it also, or from which family, because there are some differences, small differences from Gekti to Gekti and how they do things. Just to jump in, I guess maybe a question that I just had um, come to mind is that, that that's a that's a beautiful garment to me. So if 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 I wanted to buy one of those and then wear it, I assume that is some sort of appropriation. Now, where, where does that? I guess that's kind of an, an organic question that I had in my mind of where that would stand, um, and how would that maybe be perceived. It, it would be perceived as um, an appropriation and also uh, imitating something you are not in, in the Sami uh, community. Um, as I said, this is an identity marker. It says where I'm from. It says which family I'm from. And there is a lot of other um, things that are significant. Am I married? Am I not married? Things like that, which... Sami people can can read into them the, the garment. Um, so I guess we all can agree that, uh, you know, dressing up as a Native American is not a good thing to do. And it's it's kind of the same thing uh, with a Sami garment. Uh, you need to to be Sami to wear the Sami, at, at least the Gakte. But that's also because it carries so much more cultural import than simply just being of, of something you wear like I'm wearing a satiricon t-shirt right now you know it, that's something that anybody can can uh, buy and it you know just means that you know either you want to look black metal cool or you like you like that type of music you know that's it right um but to to create sort of an analogy to to another cultural product um that it, it's not problematic to wear um let's think about for instance the Icelandic sweaters right the the this, this they they have a very distinct pattern. This is something that has been created culturally over time, um, but they don't have. I mean, they they very strongly signal Iceland, um, and 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 you can buy them in all all tourist stores in in Iceland and all that stuff, right? And there's no problem in wearing them because they 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 are a cultural product from a part of the world uh, that freely um, makes this available to others. And um, they also don't have that uh, all those layers of cultural meaning, right? Um, if you're wearing an Icelandic sweater, you're not telling anybody that you're like, oh, I, I descend from this particular family in, in uh, Vatnafjörður or something like that, right? So that's a very different um, uh, different context, but but a similar situation where we you know can see that there's a cultural product, right? I, th I think that. The one thing for me is that you would get a lot of people that maybe would say, where does the appreciation stop and the appropriation start in a sense of that people may want to buy the, the garment because they, they want to appreciate, they love it. They think, really think it's a beautiful thing. They have the, the utmost respect for it in all manners that it should be. And, but obviously that would still be maybe seen as a negative thing, even though the intent is very much a positive um, and I guess that's one thing I've always maybe been a little confused about is that, the, you know, maybe people do want to own these things because they they love, they just love the culture. They think it's amazing. They think it's a beautiful thing. Um, 
but then obviously it can have the negative contagion, which is why maybe some people get caught up in it because they don't know where that line that line is, I guess. I would say that an important factor in this is power. If you have, uh, if you have an, uh, a cultural group that, uh, that has been exposed to uh, marginalization, uh, then, and like a Sami, the Gakti uh, is an expression of Sami identity, partly as a manifestation of those processes, I would assume, Kura, you can tell us any more about this, through which the Sami has been oppressed. Now, if that's not really the case with the Icelandic sweater, the Icelandic sweater has never been used in that way, um, then, then there's a different thing going on. This is also why I would maintain that there's a problem in the Norwegian king's horn because it is a power symbol. It's a power symbol. It's a, it might have come to, to uh, Denmark in completely legitimate ways. That might also be the case for the Sami drums. They might be, have been sold from, from Nwaidit who converted to Christianity. We don't know, but, uh, but oh, there, might, there might not be, but there are, there are many cases of this. Uh, totem poles that were legitimately sold and bought. And so the royal on. horn is a royal heirloom. It belongs to the royal family, the descendants of the Norwegian king, which is the, that lady. Yeah, but it doesn't anymore. Like uh, royal regalia, uh, they are symbols of power. When the Brits go conquer the Ashanti, what is the first thing they do? They go in and they take the Ashanti throne, bring it to England and stick it in a museum. That is a power, uh, a demonstration of imperial power that's going on there. Yeah. So but that's, not, when, that's not the historical case between Norway and Denmark. No, but, Norway, uh, but Norway is independent now. Mm-hmm. And this is the one of their only symbols of state unity and power that that is even there and and i think i think uh, that can be so many details in the history that that mixes that in different ways but i still think it's yeah anyway that's just my opinion <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually quite important because like you're you're equating a british conquest um with a a, a much more complicated process Right. So the, the, the royal, the, the Norwegian royal horn is a very complicated process of intermarrying royal families where, like, you know, historically, um, we've had a situation going back and forth since the late 900s. Right. Where where you have a, a king in Denmark who's then a king in Norway, too, for a bit. And then a Norwegian king who's then a, the king in, in Denmark for a bit. And it's like it's 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 an entirely it's a much more complicated process, and that's really really important, actually, right? Um, I mean, there have been European thinkers uh, throughout history who have tried to work out how how do multiple uh, identities exist under the same in the same territory under the same ruler, right? And uh, um, Johannes Ebel, um, a Danish um, uh, writer is an example of that from the 1700s, like writing about uh, the, uh, the, the identities in uh, Schleswig-Holstein and Denmark and Norway, right? And uh, like creating some kind of, uh, a, I don't know what, what you can call it, um, in, in, imperial multi-identity out of that, right? So that, that, is, that has happened uh, over time, like uh, looking at like, what, what is this country that I live in? And and how 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 do we uh, interact and and react with one another? You, 
the, you know, we Danes, we have plenty of examples, by the way, of stuff that has wound up in other countries. We have a, you know, a dead king lying in northern uh, Germany, for instance. Um, I don't know what what our queen thinks about having her ancestor in, in, in Germany. I, I mean, I know that back when that part of uh, uh, um, now Germany ended up uh, being solidly German in, in 1920, uh, it almost led to a war. Um, the king was was very close to to you know actually performing a state coup, so that tells you a little bit about how some people have very strong identities tied to that as well, right? Um, so I actually I actually think one one thing you're pointing out there, Matthias, is important. And that is, I actually think that we can learn something from empires because empires they have this idea that the plurality of peoples that call themselves subject to the subjects to the empire kind of affirms the greatness of the empire and that means that they are sometimes rather pluralist like what you see in scandinavia with the transition to, from uh, monarchies and into uh, nationalism is uh, in, in increased um, increased pressure on minorities attacks on jews in denmark in in the late 19th century and through the 20th century we have the, the, in the minority groups in northern Scandinavia suddenly becomes a problem in the way that I'm not sure they were uh, before in in the same way. But uh, and like I mean, a lot of a lot of the the, the Norwegian policies uh, that have been so detrimental to the Sami come directly from intentions to strengthen the Norwegian border towards the east, right towards Sweden and Finland and Russia. Right. So because mm. the Sami have been uh, nomadic, moving back and forth across the border, that was seen as a problem, right? Uh, so they had to become sedentary. Yeah. Just jump in um, on, that, on that point, Kira, I was wondering if you could maybe give a, a, a quick, and I'm sure it's not a quick thing to answer, a uh, rundown on kind of what happened to the Sami I guess at the hands of maybe the Norwegian, because to, as a as a Brit, and I assume the American listening as well, it's not something that we particularly know about. We we learn about, so it would be really interesting to hear kind of what it what it was. I guess that happened. I, a, a quick resume of that would be um, well, most of us know what happens to the Native American people and and to other indigenous people around the world as well. Um, and much of the same happened in in uh, Norway uh, with uh, marginalization. We were taken; our language was taken away. There were boarding schools um, where they wasn't allowed to speak Sami. They were their religion was taken away. Their drums was burned, and the, the Sami shamans Noidi was burned uh, or killed. Uh, there is a lot, a lot of suffering and, and marginalization of the Sami people, and they were kind of forcefully assimilated to be Norwegians. When when was this? Uh, it it kind of started um, when in the 1516 or a bit a little bit earlier when the when the, the missionaries came uh, to to uh, the north and and started and the missionaries was used as kind of a tool to to force the Sami people to be 
the Norwegian. Um, I mean, yeah, we have we have from the Reformation a push from from the the Danish um, uh, crown to to make sure that everybody is is now Protestant, right? Which leads to, for instance, uprisings in both in Norway and and in Iceland as well. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, very forceful missionary activity up um, in in Sotmi, and um, this gets even worse in the 1700s. And then when when Norway uh, um, a, a transitions to a personal union with Sweden in 1814, that's when we see this very strong and often kind of vitriolic, I'd say. Uh, push for establishing an, a Norwegian national identity in, in the same way that we see in other countries. And that's when it gets really rough, right? Yeah, and, and this, uh, well, it kind of continues up until today, but but uh, this, it, it definitely continued until the 70s, 80s, 1980s. Yeah. So it's uh, quite a long stretch of <laughs> history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very recent. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Events, right and nowadays we, we see more of like a positive uh, general positive attitude in Norway I think towards Sami but you also still see situations where uh, what was it in 2018 there was a reindeer herder who was told to call his uh, half of his herd um, because it was herding the tundra like, I mean, uh, these these animals live off of the tundra, right? So that had to go to to the international court, right? Yeah. Um, and and there is a uh, there is this big wind farms going on right now uh, and mining at- activities that takes away the grazing land from the reindeer herders. Uh, so kind of the the Sami people uh, in in all of Scandinavia and in Russia as well. It's, 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 it, we're still on the losing end of, of mm. things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think I think an, an interesting counterpoint to this is the the um, actually the the pre Christian relations or relation making between Sami and and uh, Nordic peoples and. I mean, of course, we we should also always be a little bit cautious when we're creating nostalgic image of, images of how fraternal everything was in the past. Uh, but um, at least there's this Norwegian scholar. Ah, I've got the name right now, but uh, she's talking about the uh, the kinship metaphors that used to govern the relations between. Nordic peoples uh, or Germanic Nordic peoples and Sami uh, peoples. And part of that is that the Sami is inscribed in creation myths. So you have Nordic creation myths that talk about how Norway uh, was formed, basically. And that is, it is as if there's a Sami element of that. And uh, and, and uh, Norwegian kings later took great care in their sagas to emphasize oh i descent from sami um and uh or a part of my ancestry is, is sami and that's clearly a way of of saying i am a legitimate king of this land obviously it's a power language it's a royal power language but it's important to note that that was apparently a way of making a legitimate power language at, at that point in the middle ages mm-hmm. so 
Um, and I mean, this, there's, there's, there's a really important uh, historical element of this actually in in, in the uh, Snæfrida, um, Harald uh, yeah. uh, Harfagri's uh, um, first wife, I guess, in a, in a sense. Like the reason that she's there is because the historical the history writer, um, whether it was Snorri Sturluson, that's another discussion, but whomever was writing this saga could not deny that connection that that was a real connection and uh, that you know is quite interesting because it means that there was a general understanding of a of a, a interconnectedness there in the royal family which is of course because people in that age did not think like the kind lady on my instagram post oh damn um, I, I feel that I have trouble reconciling these side of my sides of myself. No, that was that was it was uh, what do you say a resource <laughs> to have a, a plurality of background in that way. Um, and and I think that the, the when we talk about how traditional knowledge works, I think that real traditional knowledge would work in these sort of exchanges and interplays. And uh, and this is why, like, when I'm communicating, I'm communicating from uh, an animist perspective, and which is why I sometimes get a bit of heat because I, 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 I you know, I have to say, in exchange is actually important, uh, and um, and uh, and that can conflict with the with uh, the ideas of cultural appropriation. But I don't know. Should we should we consider cultural ownership what that is and how we should actually think of that just mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's a, that's a good point because i think as i it comes on to what i said to you earlier rune about it's almost when you have a an artist who who puts something on on facebook and kind of puts it out there for the world you you sort of lose ownership of that piece of art in the moment it becomes everybody's art because people can say what they want about it. They can steal it if they want. And I guess that's almost like, like culture because when you put it out there, people, you will get people who either look at it negative, negatively or positively. And the people who look at it positively might, they may personally identify with it and want to adopt part of that. Um, and it is that kind of mixture of what ownership is. And, and when you own something, do you then say you can't have it or do you decide who can and who can? It's, it is a very complex topic. Mm -hmm. I would really love to hear what Kyoto has to say about cultural ownership. Well, I kind of answered it um, uh, earlier on, but, um, and it's, it's a very tough topic to go into because uh, do I as a Sami have the right to say that you can't do Sami shamanism? Uh, in, in my opinion, no, I don't. If you want to do Sami shamanism uh, or Nuedawoda, as, as it's called, it, that's totally okay. But don't put, portray a Sami person where you're a Danish guy or a British guy or an American guy, but you're, you're doing Sami shamanism, which is okay. Um, I, I can't... Uh, claim that Sami shamanism uh, or which is a religion uh, isn't open to anyone who, who wants to do that um, but in the in the 
same time, I think cultural ownership uh, also means that uh, I have a kind of a, a, a right to say that um, this is part of Sami shamanism, whereas you as a non-Sami person can say that, you know, you can uh, take uh, yoga and call it Sami, yeah, <laughs> Sami sham, sham, shamanistic yoga or, or something like that. I would assume, though, that the people within a particular culture wouldn't necessarily agree on what ownership was themselves as well. Um, obviously, Kira, you may think one thing and then somebody else may be happy replicating items and selling them to bring money back into the culture, whereas you may then think negatively on that. So it's that it's that much of a complex issue that it's not a case of that just one person can say this is right, this is wrong, because I guess anybody who is from that culture has the right to be able to dictate what they feel should do with the, the culture, which I guess is, is also maybe confusing for people who may buy certain items from indigenous people who maybe feel it's okay to to sell them and then you get other people within the culture saying well that's not okay and you kind of get confused he's like well well i bought it from the right place or what they consider to be the right place but then also then are told that it's it's a bad thing so it's it, it is such a complex issue yeah that's that's an important issue that that uh, that uh, you know any human context will have different systems and 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 tensions inside it and that that's universal um i don't think that i mean there is culture where you can actually say this culture is very easy to see if it's owned or not like uh, northwest coast american uh, uh raven tales um these sometimes you have specific tales that are so owned by specific families that a grandfather will disown or father would disown his son because the son sold the right to narrate this story to another man that is how heavy the ownership of, of that piece of knowledge is right so you see blowing blowing that kind of stuff out on the internet is a very intense violation of that kind of knowledge um, so stuff like that does exist. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something that we, you know, uh, with, with the, uh, um, here in, in the US in particular, but also generally across Europe, I would say in the Western world with the fascination with Native Americans that begins in the 80s, right? You see a lot of, um, you know, uh, indigenous knowledge being, uh, disseminated to a broader public, um, sometimes by good faith actors and also sometimes by straight up charlatans, right? And that is that has become a a real fundamental problem to indigenous cultures in in uh, especially in the U.S. and, and Canada um, right now. And uh, they're trying to work out well, well, how how do we uh, how how do we um, exist? in this in this um you know uh, with, with this surrounding culture that you know in so many ways is suppressing us and 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 taking away our our, our basic livelihood in so many ways uh and at the same time uh, also is like uh, spiritually fascinated and you know what 
like living in a in a southwestern state like Colorado and and you know you could go to places like New Mexico or 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 uh, you know Nevada or Arizona and you find you find these white people all over the fucking place with like the the Indian fascinations right and it's it's uh it, it's like it's really heavy like it's it is it is encompassing uh, as as a, a culture here so uh you you really get a, a very like first-hand kind of uh, impression of of how harmful it can actually be when when you have people who who come from an outside culture who are appropriating also in a in, in a personal context right but but the question is also how did that stuff end up in their hands become available to them in the first place and how how are we now going to mitigate that situation later on right and those are similar issues i i think that um indigenous peoples in scandinavia are also facing because you do have a same the same kind of like romanticizing um and you know it, every other um, descendant of uh, scandinavian uh immigrants over here um you know, uh, who who has who wants to have some kind of like spiritual claim or something like that? It's like, yeah, my 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 ancestor this and that was Sami, right? So like, you get that a lot too. The, the, the noble savage. The noble savage, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that that is important to perhaps acknowledge that it comes from a place of people seeking land connectedness and that is sort of the root of it when i mean people wouldn't be so fascinated by native americans like there's here in northern europe is absolutely crazy like there's a whole culture of people in germany who, who they have powwows and they dress up as native americans and they dance around and in in, in, in this it's so weird man it's so weird yeah yeah it's so <laughs> bloody weird and uh, but um but i think that that this this fascination it, it it i think it comes from realizations of lost connectedness and then the image of culture that f- for good or bad reasons sometimes good reasons come to re- represent that connectedness becomes attractive to people absolutely and 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 i would add to this over here in the us um actual substantial cultural identity has been replaced by race so that you know you you're you're I'm, I'm not danish i'm a white guy right um so so i don't have that cultural background anymore uh, as as like an immigrant in in the us that's that's how this has been uh it, it has developed now too right so that means that so many uh, so many uh white people they they only have capitalism as a culture which which um which is a, a i mean you could see it it's a it's a it's a it's a big um it's a big loss to to, to these mm. people right and that's why they're, they're they're looking for these um these alternatives right um in in indigenous cultures yeah, that that's that's a good point. Um, I was going to actually ask whether you think that maybe you get this big interest in indigenous peoples because I guess so. A lot of Europe lost the cultural identity with Christianity. I guess it became one single thing. Um, actually, and- actually, it's much more industrialization. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Christianity, of course, shifts cultural identity. 
but it doesn't erase the cultural identity that that these local groups have around in Europe. Absolutely not. Um, you know, it overlays and. Uh, there's a long history of going back and forth. Actually, you can see, uh, you can see like the resurgence of of you know ancient pagan rituals or semi-pagan or you know in, interpreted as pagan throughout Christian history in Europe. You know what 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 really takes away identity for um, for Europeans and white North Americans is industrialization and all the processes the economic processes and production processes that come with that because all of a sudden you have these huge migrating groups of people that um, move between cities where they can find jobs and so on or try to find land that they can farm and and so on that that takes it away i guess just thinking about it now um is it actually a loss of culture or is it just a and change into a different culture um, because obviously American culture today in if you when we go 200 years in the future people are going to look back on it as its own culture and we might describe it now as we've lost a, it's a, a sense, past culture but I guess culture is an ev it's a li I guess it's a living or is it's own I mean, living course, organism that it changes yeah. it moves it evolves from 100 years to to the next and probably even shorter than that it will always change and adapt depending on what the popular things are at the time as well. You're, you're totally right. I mean, of course, this is a culture. People have culture, you know, <laughs> they always have culture. You know, they don't exist without culture. But there is a very strong sense of loss of culture in um, Western white populations. Uh, that goes for, you know, people in Germany. It goes for people here in North America as well. That, that's, that, you know, and this is something that we can historically see has been happening over the last 200 years at least. It's like hearkening back to ancient days and uh, bringing back the medieval period in, in statues and buildings and those kinds of things, like as if they had lost culture, right? Is it is it a loss of culture or is it just... It's a sense of loss. Uh, yeah, of or is it just a, a an interest in a different culture and they go I, i'd like that now so i want to i want to go back go back to that because you never you, you everyone still has their own culture that they exist in today it's just they may be interested in something else and go okay well i want to try and follow follow that with the the pagan or the heathen um you've not kind of lost your new culture i i think it might be a loss of of uh immaterial cultural heritage uh, the spiritual spirituality of, of thing i think that's the uh, main thing that a lot of modern people um feel that they lack and, and i get a lot of feedback also on that when i talk to other people that that uh, wow uh, when they get introduced to to spirituality or it doesn't matter what it is, yoga or, or shamanism, but but they kind of, oh, it kind of fills a void in them. Mm -hmm. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I also think that you can. I know for, for my to speak for myself, like I just love other cultures. I whether it doesn't matter what it is, I I just enjoy learning about it. I love the the artwork, the things that they create. It's I find it extremely fascinating. Um, so I. I guess yeah, I never want it to be seen as a negative thing to to enjoy those things and want to enjoy those, those things, but also sometimes it feels like you have to tread on 
on careful grounds. You don't know what you can and can't enjoy, I guess. I think humans are inherently interested in each other. I think I think a point maybe we'll get to shortly is that we have to try and find, I guess, a, a, a middle ground because if you equally go to the extreme of the other side and, and everybody just goes, this is my culture, this is mine, this is mine, you can't enjoy it, you can't enjoy it, you also go down a very dangerous path of, of sort of nationalism and it can become very, it just does become very dangerous. So you have to find this, this balance because some people, we know people who go, well, this is mine. It's certainly when it comes to like white culture, I guess it, this is mine. You can't enjoy it because you look different or think different. And we need to avoid that as well as also protecting the rights for, for indigenous culture as well. I think it is extremely important. Like I'm, I'm communicating about Nordic animism and I am actually culturally unambiguous myself as far as I know. Uh, my ancestors never really moved around. So I guess I could pose myself as culturally pure and super authentic and stuff like that. But th this is also part of the reason that it's important for me to take the other position to say, to, to say no, you know, uh, uh, because that image is in itself, I think this image is, is in itself an, another, something other. When people in, in, in North America, like Matthias is saying, are fascinated by Native Americans, that's be because it, it represents, like Kure is saying, a spirituality in, in the image of something that's exotic and other. It's exactly the same reason that people are fascinated by Vikings. Exactly the same. And I actually feel that it's a problem when uh, white Americans, who might be kind and respectful people, you know, who believes in equality in all kinds of way, when they approach North European cultural heritage from that motivation, I, I kind of feel, oh, so is that like, should we be sort of subject to this inherent racialization in that? Now, I'm not saying this a lot, a lot to people because I don't feel that I have the right, exactly like could I don't feel I have the right to go and be a huge judge of why people are approaching uh, this or that. And, and, uh, and that would, uh, you know, uh, and also people come, people move between culture and between cultural spaces in all kinds of curly and weird ways that, that aren't necessarily consistent with what I would find or what we would find is ethically appealing. Um, but I still, I still sort of sense that it's a little bit of a problem that Nordic heritage is popular because people are confined in racializing, partly because they, they can't become Rastafarians or Hare Krishna, whatever hippies used to become, you know, uh, and uh, anymore, because uh, that is considered, that is very heavy judgments are laid on that. Oh, that that's, that's a good point, because I see it regularly through, through Horns of Odin, because we use non-white models in some of our pictures, we get the amount of comments that I get of people saying, well, that's cultural appropriation. A black man shouldn't be wearing a, a T-shirt with a Nordic, <laughs> Nordic symbol so on. Or like we get it. We I, I, numerous times we've had that, and I, and it almost feels it's, it's that because they hear that other cultures may use cultural appropriation against against them, they then go, well, this is my chance to 
to try and shout it back, even whether it fits or not. It's it's like it's my opportunity to use that term back, and mm. it's and it makes no sense. But that's the that's the problem of racialization of 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 culture. You know, this is this is why I maintain. Um, you know, living living in one of the most racialized places on the planet, the United States of America. I maintain I'm Danish more than anything else. I mean, yeah, sure, I have white skin, um, but so does Kuda and and the Sami have been racialized too. You know, in in uh, the colonization period in in uh, in Scandinavia. So. Uh, so you can also have racializations happening between um, different uh, kinds of whites, right? And the same with different kinds of, of, of black peoples. Um, it happens also on the African continent. So the, the Sami history of becoming a recognized indigenous people, right, also went through the subject of race. The Sami were not... Uh, uh, you know, initially accepted as an indigenous group by other indigenous groups because they're white, right? Mm-hmm. So that tells you everything about how how these ideas of race so often influence uh, how we think about things, and that needs to stop because race and racism was invented to s- separate people in these uh, colonies, right? Um, that America, for instance, uh, is and was and and then has become a colonial empire itself um so 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 what we have are these uh, curious situations where people think about uh cultural exchange and um ethnic relations based on race right and like i was <laughs> you know i was in a in a uh, in a um class on sunday uh, about um this was a this was about labor maternal labor and giving birth and all that stuff because we have a kid coming along right and um somebody asked the nurse who was giving that class well what do they do in africa right and that tells you everything about how these things are sometimes conceptualized right it's like africa well which part what what people what are you talking about right like but this this is because you know that person with good intentions, by the way, was simply like trying to figure out, well, what do people uh, that they consider more natural, right, do out there in the world. And so Africa is like the location for more natural people. And so, so this, this, is, this is the problem that we're dealing with, right? <laughs> Essentially that, that, that we think in, uh, or people tend to think in these boxes. Um, about everything when it comes to other ethnicities out there in the world. And uh, that really stifles the possibility of talking about um, a, a, you know, proper cultural exchange as opposed to cultural appropriation, right? I, th- I think the reason for that is probably because it's like, it's like this episode, we've been going an hour and 10 minutes and we've got no definitive answers. And that kind of just shows how complex of an issue this is and probably that there isn't a definitive answer on any of it because everything is all always changing so people try and put them into these neat boxes so they can understand it the best that they can um it's because this 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 stuff requires that you think and you think hard you know mm -hmm. and you employ a will to try to understand that other person that you're interacting with right but i think it's important that it is as if people 
haven't really the tools to make that distinction and and that that kind it that kind of it blows the concept of cultural appropriation all over the place and when i see people using it i feel and this might just because <laughs> they're mostly sometimes shouting it at me because i'm I don't know, mention the word shamanism or something like that. Um, but but I, I feel that it, 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 it's the reason has something to do with racializing, that humans have to be unambiguous in that way. And I actually also think that capitalism plays a role. The idea that culture is sort of see, looked at at these kind of objects that are placed on shelves. And commodity. And, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we can, we all can agree that that's that's a negative thing. When you get, I think Mateus, you spoke about it on one of the earlier shows of one of the big companies taking Navajo designs and then printing them out for personal gain. Um, mm -hmm. we, I think we all can agree that that's definitely a, a bad thing. If, if, if those designs should be, if they want to be sold by the Navajo or any indigenous cultures, they should be sold for benefit for that culture and the money should go back into mm -hmm. that. Um, and Kira, this I think uh, just to add a comment to that, I think that was the origin of uh, that particular case was the origin of the term cultural appropriation. This is what was being argued that that what we're dealing with here is a corporation that is culturally appropriating Navajo designs and making profit over it, and none of it goes to the Navajo nation. Um, and 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 that is that is a that has everything to do with transaction in a capitalist economy, right? Which, you know, is very different um, from an individual doing something, uh, either, you know, uh, using elements of another culture to, to, you know, create their own spiritual practice or wearing um, clothes or, or something like that. That's a very different context and sometimes that's problematic and sometimes it's it, it it's you know more borderline you know whether or not it's problematic and that really comes down to the disposition of the individual who is um is looking at it too right like um hairstyles for instance have sometimes and you know jewelry for that matter right that have been uh, <laughs> i'm not going any deeper into details about any of that but but that have been called out in in different uh, contexts as cultural appropriation and then you can ask yourself well you know with some of them i'm not sure that that we're really dealing with that mm -hmm. um but that's again a long discussion right i think the worst cases of cultural appropriation criticism the worst cases there are cases where the criticism is extremely legitimate, but there are cases where the, the criticism itself is, in fact, an appropriative process. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so there's something to be said here for, for a very sinister background for claiming these kinds of things. And that is, that is the, actually you know, rooted in the origins of New Age, right? Like New Age... Um, spiritualities have their origin in um uh primarily uh madame blavatsky's uh, the secret doctrine um a very racist piece of literature written in the um, late 19th century and all her material was pretty racist um basically claiming that that there was like this original race of people who were like very white and all that stuff and 
um, everybody descends from them, and those who aren't white, they um, are then like degenerated versions of of those those original races. Um, and this is where the whole Aryan myth comes into play, as as like these white northern Europeans, which they were not, right? Um, and so, what really lies at the heart of this new age uh, claim is that. Uh, original spirituality, original culture comes from these white people up north, right? And then has like uh, precipitated down across the globe um, um, and some other peoples around, they can more or less well do it, uh, you know, properly replicate it and, and some don't at all and, and, and all that stuff. It's a, it's a really weird system of uh, being a total douche. Uh, honestly there, there are white occultists today who claim the following they claim that the haitian religion voodoo was really uh, a white cultural product that belonged to the sunken atlantis and was then uh then uh, guarded in, in in that form in haiti now part of the absolute ridic ridiculous nature of this is absolutely ludicrous you know, but part of it is, of course, the claim that black people could not make something as evidently beautiful and brilliant as voodoo. Uh, it has to be have to have been white, and that has been a, a common theme. In and, and note again how the appropriation ac accusation is actually uh, instrumental in the attempt to take. And I think I think you actually see that sometimes also from from uh the, what you might call the left wing that there, that there is an accusation of, of appropriation and the, the example i didn't want to mention before was the um, now just throwing it out that's the dia de los muertos <laughs> mm -hmm. which is uh, uh the way that people talk about dia de los muertos i think we, which started as a mix between some Catholic and some indigenous Mexican culture. It was then appropriated by Mexican nationalism. It became a Mexican thing. And then it, then it kind of uh, moving into North America. But the appropriation accusation on that is, I think, is a way of, of, of imposing ownership on, on, uh, on uh, parts of culture that are, are extremely fluid and, and mobile between, uh, between uh, cultural groups. And anybody can, can you know, uh, see that if you take the time to look at a Wikipedia article about Dia de los Muertos, it's extremely evident, you know. And all, all of that comes, by the way, as a result of the American ra racialization of this huge group that is called Latinos and Hispanics mm. right he, over here, which is like so many different people from so many different places with so many different ethnic and racial backgrounds and, you know, linguistic differences and, and all that stuff. But, you know, what it really means here is like, you know, you come from south of the border, right? Mm. Um, so, so that has everything to do with a very specific American cultural context right now, right? And not so much with what is actually going on in Mexico. There's one, one thing I want to touch on before we, we wrap up. Um, and I guess that's the question of what, what do we do with all these things that are sat in museums that have ended up there from, I guess, being appropriate or taken by force? And I, I guess I want to come to you, Kiri, first to get your opinion on that and just before i guess my 
my thought is, is split. I don't really know. Is it, I guess what, for one thing, it, it would be good to give all these things back. But on the other hand, I think it would it be then would it be more worthwhile to your island put, would be lighter. It would be. <laughs> it, certainly, it certainly would be. But also, I guess, or, or on the other hand, do you do you make sure that maybe plaques are put up that explain the true history behind these items, so that then they get the recognition they deserve and people understand where they come from? Because I guess nobody, everybody, I still want to be able to see these wonderful items. Um, and I guess more eyes are going to be on them when they're in the London Museum rather than maybe up at the north of Norway, as, as kind of selfish as that may sound. But more people are going to see it kind of in the London Museum. So do you put a plaque on and say, this is, how it, this is what it is, this is how it got here, and you accept and, and almost own the, the dark past behind it, but then you, you shine appreciation to, to the culture that it came from through that and hopefully bring eyes to it, or do you apologize and hand it back, but then limit maybe the amount of people that find the culture? There is a very uh, easy solution to that. You can make a copy of the drums and still have it exhibit. Uh, but the drums. Why did I think of that? <laughs> I just went on like a two minute run. I should have just thought of that. <laughs> but the but the drums in in themselves they are um, a very important part of um, Sami spirituality. It's an it's a Sami identity marker. So it's it's a part of our identity, and. Secondly, um, when does uh, a theft become a property? These mm. drums, especially the drums we were speaking about in the beginning, was, was taken away from Anders Paulsen, that was his name. Um, it was forcefully taken away from him. Uh, and he was then killed by a knife. Um, but he was probably, if he weren't killed by a knife, he, he was probably going to be burned. Uh, so when when does when does a theft uh, become a property? If I steal something from you, uh, your T-shirt or something, or your whiskey, when hey when... hey yeah yeah, T-shirt's <laughs> all right, but uh, you get your eyes off that whiskey. I, I knew I was pushing some <laughs> buttons there. <laughs> is it is it mine after a hundred years? Is it mine after two hundred years? Uh, well, that that's that's a brilliant point, which was yeah. one other part of what I was wondering. Is at what point do you go back to and say, okay, this is the point we're deciding everything after this goes back? Because obviously we have items that will have swapped hands maybe two, three, four, five more, much many more times. That's not the best English in the world. In the world, much many more. But, but items that have been swapped and changed hands so often, you know, from from one to another, given to somebody else, and then at what point do you trace that back to its its origin? Um, and is it even possible with some things to to trace it back to where it's meant to be? That's a good point. I mean, Matthias might have a point with the horn that perhaps is too far back, too too convoluted in history. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things to consider, right? One is, a, which I think is really important. Are there people who are still hurt by this today? That's, a, that's always a question to ask in this mm -hmm. regard, right? And with the Simon drums, that's definitely the case. And that's with most of the material in the British Museum, also in the Danish uh, National Museum, for that matter, like all the sealskin thongs that we've stolen from Greenland. Like, what the hell? What is that about? Like, <laughs> you go into a room and it's like thongs. 
sealskin thongs, <laughs> tire wall. Like there's also a lot of other Inuit artifacts. They should be returned. Of course, it should be returned because you know what? Um, local cultures, right? Having their own museums if they want to, like having their own agency in all of this, right? That is going to benefit them. You're going to be a tourist in Northern Norway looking at those Sami drums or in Greenland looking at sealskin thongs if it, it, the Inuit in Greenland decide that they want to display them, right? And that's, that's really, really important to consider in this regard, that by returning these objects, you're, you're also contributing to establishing institutions, legitimate institutions of identity and power in those places where they came from, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I say, yeah, bring it all back and, you know, <laughs> better, better do it yesterday than now. But then, <laughs> but then would you not get maybe two people who then argue within a certain culture or maybe even more who then go, okay, well, I want it when it comes back, I want it. And then you may get another person who's like, well, no, actually I want it. And then you get this big argument and probably legal battles over who owns it. Well, there are there are official institutions in place to to uh, to decide these things and take care of them. And also, let's also keep in mind that um, you, museums across the world uh, lend out items all the time. So, for instance, if these drums are returned to Sotme, and uh, and then you know after a process of deciding what to do with them and how to, to, to handle them and, and what, what import they have to uh, uh, Sami culture. Right? Maybe at some point there's a central authority that decides, well, we can lend it out to another museum to, to mm-hmm. look at, or we can send a replica, as you were pointing out, Kira. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that the agency and and the sovereignty should be in the hands of, of 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 the people who have created them and who have relations to the items. I think it's all about in in what level were these things exchanged in under what circumstances were these things uh, exchanged, um, and also about culture. What if if um, uh, two cultures meet on the same playing field? On, on, a, on a level surface, so to speak, um, then there's exchange. In the minute, um, one of the cultures has an above the other culture in some kind of way, has some, some, some kind of power, uh, as uh, Runa mentioned in the beginning, uh, then that's when, when we start to get into the gray area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, so. To be fair, I think Frederick has a good point in the, the chat of what do you do with war bounties of things that do come from from war? Well, so so there's a couple of things to to I would say that 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 you know shifts the balance with these things. Kira, you were just pointing this out the the, the power imbalance between Sami and Danes. There there is a very and there's a structural one present right now. Uh, Sami uh, do not have th- their own territory in the sense of a country that they own and are fully uh, sovereign masters in, right? They have a their own territory that, you know, exists in, within the borders of another, actually multiple other countries, right? And that is a very different power situation than the one between Denmark and Norway, for instance, like Denmark and Norway are two sovereign countries that can, you know, bicker about a horn, right? 
in a, in an, in in a much more equal way. And the same with like war booties that the uh, that the Swedes have been uh, taking from Poland. Well, you can negotiate that as as inter through international um, um, relations in different ways, right? So that's a very different uh, situation when it comes to the Sami. They do not have the same uh, power and, and, and agency as a Danish state does, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think to maybe try and wrap it up is that everything or each case should probably be looked at as an individual. Um, that You can't put any sort of blanket ban over this, like a blanket idea over all this. It has to be each case of each item should be looked at and the culture and all these different aspects taken into consideration and then decide what happens. Um, it's not just a case of you can just say everything goes back to, to one place because everything has its own history and everything and culture and borders and people and empires and uh, kingdoms have all changed throughout human history. And I think that also counts for very much for the intangible knowledge and and we didn't actually get so much into talking about how do we actually talk about those kind of culture that does have heavy or just ownership on them and the ones that perhaps don't have ownership on them because there's a lot of examples and there's a lot lot of uh, like just words, concepts that are floating around the world today. The word totem uh, is an example uh, of a, a word that comes from a specific people, but which is now today used globally. And through the English language, indigenous peoples from all over the world are using the word totem. Um, uh, it came from the Nishinabek language. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and I mean, we need to decide, okay, so is it usable or is it not usable or is it usable for some and not for others? And what are the criteria for which a word like that can be used? And if you can't use the word totem, if you're a white person, then what word should we use? Should we call it other than human kinship relation or whatever? You know, there's this, this huge weight of how to consider uh, ownership and exchange. Mm -hmm. Actually, we didn't reach that far, but, but, <laughs> we, but, it, was, but it was nice. It was we, we, <laughs> no, and I, you're, you're totally right. I mean, and and there are also you know so many examples of of similar kinds of of concepts in immaterial culture um, around the world, right? I mean, um, it, we have been using shamanism to. To, to describe why the water and uh, and that's that's you know reductive in a way right it's using that word um, is is uh, is taking taking out some of the meaning that is otherwise present in the Sami language concerning this uh, particular um, practice right and the word itself shamanism it, you know originates in Siberia with uh, Russian anthropologists uh, looking at the Evenki and uh, hearing them saying samami which means to see uh, in their language and then uh, transposing that on on these many different diverse uh, indigenous practices right so there's there's definitely a there's a lot of problems associated with, with, with the language that we're using, right? 
I think when it comes to shamanism, we have to acknowledge that it's it's a wrong word, but still it is the word that uh, most people understand when they hear it, or they have some kind of idea or grasp on what 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 are you doing while I'm working with with, with shamanism. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Perfect. Should we should we wrap this one up? Because I imagine we could go another two hours and never get to a, a solution with this one. And we've got we've got our story time to uh, record after this one. Um, Kira, I mean, I'm sorry for butchering your name the whole way through. I'm just a moron and terrible at pronouncing names. Um, but we would love to have you back on and do an episode on the Sami if you sure. would if you would come back on and we can we can really delve deep into that and get a, a good understanding of the of the culture and what it is and and go further into what happened um yeah i'd love to learn more and i'm sure Mateus would, would welcome you back anytime as well absolutely yeah that would be an awesome episode and runa obviously you're welcome back anytime Awesome. Um, awesome to see you guys. And awesome to see you for the first time, Kira. One day we'll hang out. <laughs> well, we will. We will. For sure, yeah. <laughs> do you, um, Kira, do you have anywhere people can, can find you, follow follow you, I guess, take an interest in, in, in this? Or even if you want to maybe pull people in the right direction of where they can learn about this army culture? Well, search uh search the internet uh, i would say google it uh, which will bring you a lot of information um uh, especially if you go into to some museum pages you will you, you will kind of get a dense uh, mm-hmm. kind of, of of the story a little bit longer than <laughs> we had time to hear yeah i guess people can can reach me on on facebook uh if they want to talk to me uh yeah i don't do you have instagram maybe anything like that uh no not i have one but it's kind of uh, i use it for my own personal per- fair stuff. enough so but, but my facebook is, is uh public i can put it in the chat uh, we'll we'll put it in the uh show notes of the episode as well um runa where can everybody find you and your wonderful work uh you can find me on youtube twitter instagram facebook everywhere on these uh the whole uh social media escape just search for nordic animism and find me there you go Matthias. go on well <laughs> un- unlike runa you can only find me on instagram are you really priding yourself of going off grid there there <laughs> Oh yes, and you know, and one day I'm just gonna disappear entirely. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like uh, Bartur, Sniffles House, and just like walk up on the mountain and then disappear under a glacier at some point, <laughs> <laughs> become become a local local deity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. A land spirit. <laughs> So if you if you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Like we say, every week it helps us bump up the ratings, helps people find us, helps people know that if they're going to enjoy the show or not. Uh, if you want to support us a little bit further, Patreon is always the best way. We have uh, we record a bonus episode every week. One week it'll be the Vikings Watch Along, where me and Matthias sit down and watch an episode of the Vikings series and let you know our thoughts, what we think, what's real, what's not real. Uh, and, it's, and it's a good time. And then 
The other week we do a story time episode where Jonas Lorenzen comes on and narrates the one of the sagas. He puts on a, a host of different voices. And honestly, they are a re- they're really good fun. Just for those episodes alone, it's worth the, the Patreon subscription, in my opinion. Um, you get the full back catalogue as well. So you can sign up for, for a month, listen to them all, see if you like them. If you don't like them, you can cancel it. You're only going to get charged for the for the one month. Um, yeah, so go and check it out. Like I say, it really helps me and Mateus keep growing this. And the bigger it gets, the more time we can commit and donate to it because we're not having to be distracted by other things to make money, I guess. Kira, <laughs> uh, uh, Rune, thank you very much. This was this was fun. I don't think we said anything too bad. I think we're all going to be okay come Thursday, I hope. <laughs> I hope so too. Otherwise, we, Shan will probably tell us that, that that was stupid, Matthias, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I I think it's a good thing to start a discussion about it and even even joke about it and, and, and uh, acknowledge that we, we might not have the answer to some some definition of, of these things, but at least we are discussing it without you know start throwing uh, you're a white guy you're doing cultural appropriation uh, absolutely. In, in in each other's faces, we, we we kind of have started something which might not be finished ever. But I think that's an extremely important point. That thing that that these that debates on important matters they have to be joyful a little bit. That you have to be a little bit shooting the shit and smile. You know, because if not, I don't think you really learning this is actually this is something i ripped from tyson Porter's work uh that he, he has this point you have when you are laughing and having a good time that's when the that's when the shit in here is actually working mm-hmm. uh and i think it's a, it's really dangerous for the respect and and in general kindness of the world when for instance progressive kind leftist positions lose their laughter and their joy um no. just want to say that and also I, I i guarantee there will be people listen to this when it comes out on thursday and they they will learn a lot because it's not something maybe they've, they've listened to before or spoken about and just kind of it's just a term they've heard and they will learn things i've learned something you know i i wasn't sure what to do with the items kira told me in two seconds make a copy of them and it and but but it, it it's funny but but sometimes you don't understand the most obvious things until somebody points them out to you and i was genuinely in a position of like what do you do with them maybe put up a plaque of them and then as soon as you said it i was like you know what if they were in a position to steal these things then they can appear to make a copy and give them back and that makes absolute perfect sense but i just didn't think of it because it had never been said to me before and sometimes you need the most obvious things pointed out and you go you know what maybe i should have thought of that bit sort of that thought of that before Exactly, and there needs to be also room for, you know, not not having having the the knowledge or the uh, the, the the particular mechanisms and uh, to 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 get to that point, you know, and also Did you just politely call way. me dumb. No, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you very politely just called me an idiot. I, I actually what I did say was that I, there, there needs to be, be space for everybody to be an idiot once in a while <laughs> and, and, and the rest of us being you know uh, forgiving about that he's pulling your leg Matthias 
<laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's wrap this one up. Like I said, we have to go. Rico, thank thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank and like you. I say, you're welcome back anytime. And I'm sure we can delve back into this again in the future. Perfect. <laughs>